Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost and Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man whose pet cricket li- lived for 58 years also. I am the Adam Glass, and it is my dream that someday my maybe ghost can give that pet cricket, who is inexplicably still alive, trapped in a bucket, to a child who has just yelled at me. Yeah. Proving that you are, in fact, a god. <clears throat> Apparently, yes, proving that I am, in fact, the god that I was conditioned to claim I am. Dreams are dreams, man. You gotta, you gotta have them. Before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there for just a dollar a month, you can get access to our bonus episodes. Ooh. We do non-criterion film. You get to vote on what we're going to watch, put together a list every month. One option on that list is always Kazam Shaquille O'Neal's starring role as a genie in a 1996 children's film. Uh, the other films on the list are uh, are themed, usually. Kazam 2. Uh, Kazam three. So we've watched uh, we've watched a lot of interesting movies over there. A lot of good movies, a lot of bad movies. Uh, Critters two, uh, Aliens, uh, uh, the Americanization of Emily. Uh, let's see, Louis Malle's God's Country. It's just a really a really wide list of yeah, different I mean, things, depending on the whims our, of the voters and the whims right. of me making the list. You know, and sometimes I even let the voters make the list. So most of the time, the list is rigged. Oh yeah, always, always. There's definitely one movie on every list that I hope you pick. So right. sometimes it's, it's very it's a very biased uh, uh, yeah. sort of voting scheme we've got going on here. Oh, absolutely. I make it. It's you, my... you guys, they don't always pick the one you want them to pick. Listen, it's not a democracy. It's a republic. It's fine. Uh, I mean, I don't think it is. Sense. It probably makes sense. Okay. <laughs> A little, uh, a little above that one dollar. We do have a five dollar tier where we just thank the people at the five dollar tier on air. Uh, we had a lot for a long time, and then they all moved up to the ten dollar tier, mm, which, which we appreciate. Very appreciate. Yeah, we we deeply appreciate. At ten dollars and above, we do thank those people on air. I don't do that in a moment. But the other thing we do is we get a piece of art printed up on a postcard. Pat makes mm. the art based on one of the movies we watched recently. And I get that printed up and write a little thank you note, personalized note, and mail that off uh, once a month. And that is $10 and above. And we do like to thank those people, like I said. So thank you so much to Jason Westaver, to Patrick Halco, to Michael McGrath, Christopher Otto, Jonathan Hape, and Adam Spickerman for your $10 yes. and above support. Thank you very much. Hopefully you. you like the most recent postcard, whatever it is, because this our recording schedule I don't fully understand. All right, so this week we are talking about our first Bernardo Bertolucci movie. Uh, eventually, I believe we will talk about The Last Tango in Paris, and uh, that's when we'll be mad at him. But this time... Okay, cool. I don't know what that's about, so that's cool. Um, it's okay. I can find out when we get there. 
It's yeah, cool. I guess I guess I'll let you have that that terrible knowledge in the future. Um, it's definitely something I I, I like ignorance. Yeah, it's Big definitely fan. something we've talked about before. We're watching The Last Emperor, which is uh, 1987. Um, Bertolucci somehow uh, got permission from the Chinese government in 1987 to film a movie. He had two choices uh, that he presented to them. One was this, and the other was uh, an adaptation of a different book, um, also Chinese-based, called, um, oh, goodness, The Human Condition, or Man's Fate. Um, The Human Condition is the French title. Man's Fate is the English title. Uh, 1933 book uh, by Andre Moreau, uh, but is also about uh, about China. The I don't know who made the decision on which one to go with, whether it was the government well, telling him to do this or Bertolucci f- deciding to do this. From one. what I saw, because they talk about it um, somewhere, I, I think it's in the Wikipedia. I'm not 100 percent sure. There's talk about getting approval from the. Oh, yeah. Jeremy Thomas recalled the approval process for the screenplay with the Chinese government was less difficult than working with the studio system. They made script notes, made references to change some of the names. Then a stamp went on and the door opened and we came, which I think implies that they showed up script in hand to the Chinese authorities, which would imply that they probably already picked before they arrived. What I mean is like, yeah, they may have done that picking without consultation with the Chinese government first. Maybe the the Chinese, from what I've read, the Chinese preferred that they do the Last Emperor. Whether that means they had a I, script in hand for right uh, man's fate or not, I don't know. But um, I, my guess is they probably they may have had something, but like that that would probably be a lot of considering this is meant to be an, a sort of epic. Probably yeah. the other one was meant to be an epic. It, that would be a lot of stuff to have in hand, <laughs> right? Right. To like have somebody say no. <laughs> Two three hundred page scripts, all right. all ready to go. Right, um, it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, they uh, they kind of got carte blanche to film in China. Um, very little uh, sort of uh, oversight, I guess. They were given, uh, they were allowed to actually shoot in the Forbidden City, um, mm-hmm. which had. Never been used in a Western film prior. Uh, they make good use of that. Um, they were still subject to Chinese law. There is a story that uh, uh, our two principals, uh, John Lone as Puyi and Peter O'Toole as Reginald Johnson, both uh, that the entire production was forbidden of using private cars because private cars themselves were forbidden in China. So, so those two guys uh, use the bicycles that they use in in the movie uh, to get oh, around, get to set from where they were staying. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's interesting that they were allowed to do this uh, at a time, particularly when China was more closed off than it is today. This is right. also geopolitically maybe one of the things that started to sort of open China and, uh, and lead yeah. to its its yeah. position 
I mean, I won't put all the blame on this, but it is it is part of <laughs> it is it is part of the conditions, whether it was casual or, or right, a symptom a of I, yeah, other I would, ideas it's happening. Probably a I would probably argue it's a symptom. <laughs> yeah. Um, more than anything, I, I like a thing that's interesting about that statement, though, is that uh, this is probably it's interesting to think about because this is early enough that the are the, yes, it, the Japan like China is more open now in some senses. Yes. Yes. But is also much more aware, I think, now, uh, like I would argue, might be more aware of what how that sort of stuff can go wrong mm-hmm. then like so if this is like essentially the the first movie being made in in China of this sort of era you, you know what I mean like you may not be as fully aware of what you need to watch out for with like western yeah. movies being made in, you know what I mean I don't right, know if right. that's the case like this is just a sort of like an idea that's in my head is that like Oh, these guys want to make this movie, and it's about a essentially a positive story, a fundamentally right. positive story. In theory, one can interpret for from a Chinese government perspective from a, as from this a is Chinese a communist story. government, right, 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 which is all that matters at the time, probably, right. That from a Chinese government perspective, this is a success story of the rehabilitation of a person who is fundamentally an enemy of the state. Right. Into a functioning member of society. Right. So if the you redemption are... redemption of an aristocrat into exactly. a functioning proletarian. Exactly. Yeah. So you see this script show up and there's a real, like... There, there yeah. may not be a full, you know... It's a chance to put a positive story, a theoretically right. positive story out into the world, right? Right. Especially since, you know, I don't... You know... You're in the process of opening the country up to more interaction with the sort of uh, with the United States and groups like that. This might be a good, right, like right way to go, right? Like, I don't know. It's just an interesting thing about like sort of we, we don't know the politics behind it all, but it is a fascinating thing to think about what could be going on in the mm-hmm. politics of getting this movie made. That they didn't have apparently very much trouble getting this movie made is a fascinating thing to think about. Right, right. Particularly because in equal turn to this being the story of an aristocrat being redeemed within uh, within Chinese communism, it is also, from a Western perspective, the tragedy of a emperor losing his identity, right? Well, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, if, if you're a, an asshole imperialist, but whatever. Listen, <laughs> listen. <laughs> Plenty of asshole imperialists. Hey, no, I know. I get. Movie. I know what you're saying. So. I totally agree. You're right. It's just that, like, you and I probably also have, like, there's right. a lot of tragic shit in this movie. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> right. Right. But but him becoming a gardener instead of an emperor is not one of them. Right. Right. No. Agreed. Agreed. But I say that to say this movie right. won nine Academy Awards, including right. Best Picture, Best Director. Uh. The uh, the phrasing of that on the Wikipedia page is one of the more weird sentences I've ever read on Wikipedia, right. just in the way it's formatted. It won nine Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director, at the 60th iteration of that event. <laughs> Quote Wikipedia. I, I don't, yeah, I saw that and I was like, what does that mean? Like, I mean, I know right. exactly what that phrase 
means. means. Yeah, but why is it like but that? But why is it worded that way? I uh, don't understand. Interestingly enough, neither O'Toole or Lone were nominated for supporting or, or best actor. Which is weird, right? Yeah. To have to it win won... Best Picture and not even be nominated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I guess I understand that. Uh, it lost. Uh, well, I mean, they weren't even nominated, so I guess they didn't really lose. Uh, but, uh, uh, oh, goodness, I had it in front of me. and now Yeah, I'm confused because I don't know how you lose a thing you're not nominated for. <laughs> right, right. They didn't. They they obviously didn't actually lose uh, the best the best actor ones, um, in that like, they were nominated. But but what won instead was uh, right. Michael Douglas won for Wall Street for best uh, best uh, uh, actor, and best supporting was Sean Connery for The Untouchables uh, <laughs> for that year. Okay. Um. And I don't know. I, it's been a while since I've watched The Untouchables, but I feel like I mean, The Untouchables like, is. I watched it not O'Toole that long ago. Not even ago. being, not even yeah, being. Yeah, it's weird, uh, right? That is a little out. Nominated is a little out there, I think. But uh, but I, I guess mean, that's, I wa- maybe yeah. that's the politics of the Oscars too. And and someone decided that it was Sean Connery's turn to actually win something. Uh, yeah, I can O'Toole, see that. O'Toole's probably got uh, a cupboard full. At this point, I don't know offhand. Right. Maybe I, yeah, I maybe he's either. never won anything, and I'm wrong. Uh, but yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's all it's all fairly interesting to think about because it's like whenever you whenever looking at the old Oscars is always a really wild ride because you have to yeah. reckon with all the movies on there that you've never heard of. <laughs> right, they're right. like one stuff, and you're like, "What is this movie?" Yeah, like yeah. especially if especially if you dip into the uh, nominations. Where it gets even more suspect, where you're like, I've literally never heard of this movie. I have no idea. Right, right, right. And there's, especially in some categories, like uh, foreign picture, you know, there's a chance you've heard of the winner, but you probably haven't heard of any. Well, any weirdly of the enough, this is a fun one because that year, uh, Au Revoir Le is the loser for best oh, yes, foreign language yes. film. We talked, we talked about, about this. Yeah, how it which lost. we've never seen Babette's Feast, but it better be a really fucking good movie. It's uh, I've heard it's a very yeah. Good movie, I I so. I don't know anything about it, but it's it better. It's probably I know, very good, I guess. I know people who who Babette's Feast is their favorite movie. In fact, okay, so. well that that at least there's that right. Like at least it's a, a people good I trust, movie, right? So because like yeah. Orwell Levant was really really fucking good, um, <laughs> right? Very like will make you cry, yeah. but very good. Um, right, right. Yeah. So like. Yeah, it's just interesting to think about that. Like they're not nominated, but again, the Academy Awards is whatever it is. Right. It's right. like it's but a I, thing. But I talk about the Academy Awards to say that this had a broad appeal, right? And obviously, it was not just appealing to people with the Chinese Communist government's right view of what this movie was trying to do. Right? See, or what, I, I what wonder they hoped on, the movie was trying to do. I wonder if the Chinese government, when it finally got down to it, because keep in mind. Like I also get the impression that clearly there must have been some play at sort of a liberal filming concept because mm-hmm. it doesn't like it doesn't seem like there was a lot of based on what you see in the movie it doesn't feel like there was a lot of interference like during shooting like right. you know what I mean it doesn't feel like there was a lot of censorship going on during the shooting because if I were the Chinese communist government I would feel like the ending scene would be like man we were sold a pig in a poke because this is. <laughs> 
Like, dude turns out to actually be God or something right. at the end. Right. He's like, right. pretty fucked up, man. You, like, ruined our story here. Yeah, yeah. Like, Ghost the whole point was he is not end. a God. That's the point, guys. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, I also, uh, in in background on this, found a list of the youngest monarchs uh, okay, to good. ever serve. And... Uh, well, the, like within recorded history, obviously. Within recorded because, history, yeah. obviously. Uh, and uh, he's uh, he's like number 10 on that list. Of, yeah, there like, have been actual infants, so, you know. There, there is a uh, medieval, I believe, uh, somewhere in Europe, uh, but it was like 1300s, uh, where, where the story is that he was crowned in utero. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. They, wow. They put a crown on his mother's stomach. Wow. That's amazing. Um That's amazing. You know your you know your entire uh, government system is working well when you're crowning literal, oh, yeah. little oh, yeah. unborn babies. Everything's yeah. going great right now. Now obviously uh through European history, um most of those people did not have actual political power. Uh which right, is also true here, of course. Yes, he did absolutely. not have actual political power. Uh, nothing. Nothing he said was getting done on a day-to-day basis outside of the walls of his right of the Forbidden City. Well, uh, he was. It does not appear based on the movie that he was even being asked. Right. Like, right. Right. Nobody was consulting him for advice on what to do. Right. Right. There's a scene later in the movie where where someone says that the emperor abdicated or abdicated, uh, and we never actually see him abdicate either. Right. No. <laughs> like he never. Uh, he never. Well, I I suspect I, I would so. have to look at the timeline. I would suspect that that may be even. We may have it may be when he is like three years old and and those stamps right. are going down. You know what I mean? Right. right. Like, I you'd have to look at the timeline of what year that would have been, but like, it yeah, would have been the, pretty uh, early. The Republican government was or the Republic was set up. Um. I think when he was three. Right, which is probably, we actually probably did see him abdicate. He was yeah. probably a baby, and they did that stamp scene. I would imagine that is probably him abdicating. Because <laughs> that would have been the right age. And um, and it would make sense, because you can't start a republic while there's also still a, an emperor hanging around who ha- who retains imperial authority. <laughs> right. And is also right. three years old. Right. Um, listen, plenty of places have tried, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. The tech- no, yeah, the technical- plenty of places are still trying. I mean, the, yeah. the, the the term emperor may not be being used, but yes, right. various the sorts head of, of systems like The this head exist. of state still having absolute power despite a parliament existing happened in England for centuries. No, happened it happens Japan all the time. For- <laughs> well, yeah, but we, we can not in good conscience call that an actual republic. <laughs> right, right, right. right? That, that is not a republic at that point because if everybody's voting and it doesn't mean anything, that's not... <laughs> in theory what those words mean right if we're being realist about it like we, we don't have to be we can be like we can just take it at face value um if if that's what we're doing then um i've heard great things about north korea <laughs> i don't even know what the political makeup of north korea is do they have a parliament is that a thing that uh, exists no there? i think they have a people's party same as as a lot of yeah uh, yeah of of the communist states and there like like that but um I mean, just simply within right. Sort There's got to be some schemes. sort of committee hierarchy, 
Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, nothing. Like, literally, you can't run up. You can't. Whatever. There's always some sort of hierarchy, right? Because you're like, literally, a person can't run an entire country. That's impossible. Right, right. Like, I make all the decisions and enact them all by myself. (laughs) This is what I do. I'm very busy. I don't get a lot of rest. Well. I am the entire executive branch of this entire country. He's got a giant myself. clay monster to help him. Oh, yeah. uh, anyway, um, yeah. So, so you're right. We we maybe do see an I, abdication. I, I believe it's we just do. Untranslated. I, I yeah, I don't think they bother to let you know because the, right. getting across the idea that like he's stamping stuff and is three years old and wants to go outside and play is right. the main point of that, right? right Whether or not right. that's him abdicating or not is not relevant, right, to the story. Right. It's that like he stamps stuff as a three year old. Right. And somehow and, that's taken at face value. Right, right. Because the system set up is set up to take him at face value. Face value, even, yeah. Even though know. he is a three-year-old who right. hides from his dying grandmother and then just wants to go out and play. And then the funnest game he knows how to play when he's nine is everyone has to chase you because you're the emperor. <laughs> well, I got news for you. Um I have children. Yes. That is the funnest game that every child oh, yeah, knows. Yeah. Running away. Regardless running away of whether they're the emperor. Yeah, because running away from parents is great. The number of people is the only relevant factor in terms of like him versus all child all children. Right. It's like, well, right. mom and dad are probably still gonna chase you. Yes. Um it's just maybe lots more people than mom and dad. Right. If you're the emperor, I suppose. Right. Though I suppose ideologically they are all mom and dad. Uh, right, I suppose. Yeah, it's very, it's all very confusing. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's you know the whole. He eventually, as a young adult, talks about reform, and how the, uh, the entire court has been skimming off the top, and that's why they burned down the, burned down the storehouse, but it's. Like I can understand their point of view too, right? Like these are right. yeah, these are people uh, yeah. who have been who have been conscripted into this duty, right? Um, and they're eunuchs. These ones in particular, uh, or the the uh, older uh, emperor's wives, his moms, who yeah. are themselves uh, people who should have political power and do not because right. of the nature of. But also, it, furthermore, have no political power because at this point, the the entire imperial thing is just <laughs> right, a sort right, of right, weird right. figurehead. Right. Like, even within, if they would have the possessed system, power. Yeah, within the system they were used to living in, they will feel betrayed about their lack of political right. power. Whether or not that is a uh, uh, just feeling to have, and it's not. Right. Um, because because the system was unjust that was going to give them power to feel right. betrayed Absolutely. by that. Yeah. It's, it's good that you were well, that, and that's by what's that. And that's that. what makes the interesting thing about his sort of confession as we go through this movie is right. he talks about reforms and it's, it becomes very clear that like where the movie is sort of, about, sort of about digging through what all that means, right? And it's like, well, those aren't real meaningful reform. Like, I wanted to reform it. Like, reform it so we can kick out the thieves like right. no that's not what we're that's not where that's not really what reform means here in this right, environment right and and he talks about 
you know, during the interview with the Republic uh, prison, you know, that is the bulk of the the modern day of the movie before we get another time jump into right. the the Cultural Revolution era. Um, you know, while he's in prison, it is the Republican government, and he does on occasion there say that he thought the workers were right to to want more power you know he, right. he says things like that um which is maybe not even something the republican government believed at that well point. i mean <laughs> so. yeah i mean it's well no i mean he's he, 1950 he's prisoner of would he be prisoner he would be prisoner of by 1950 he would be prisoner of the modern people's republic of china by 1950 is that true? I thought I thought we were still like ten years off from most. No, I know uh, when he's in the prison. Prison, it's nineteen fifty. Because he's, yeah, because he's in. He's the whole everything in Manchuria is taking place in the thirties, right? And and he's captured post war by the Soviets, right? Do the Soviets not return? Uh, not return him to China until the movie. Dev- I definitely so the train scene says 1950 right at the very beginning of the movie okay which is him being disembarked into the prison the movie does not detail where he was from people's republic started in 49 he the movie does not detail where he was until then my guess is he was probably kept as some sort of political oh he was a he was a political prisoner in uh the soviet union from his capture right. at the so end that's of the where war he would have been. But until, uh, my guess is that they probably didn't have a lot to do until with he him. was repatriated. Right. Um, I thought he was repatriated to the continuing Republican government, but you are correct that the People's Republic yeah. was founded in '49. I I thought there was a wider gulf between the end of World War II and right. the establishment yeah. of the People's Republic. I mean, it's early um, people's. Yeah, it's early People's Republic, but yeah. like, yeah. Um. It is it is interesting because, I mean the we you know we'll talk about what happens to the person who essentially reeducates him later, right? Um, as a sort of dig at the the uh, cult of personality around Mao Zedong, but like right, nonetheless. right, yeah. My um, other what had led me to to understanding it that way was his punishment. I I understood him to be a representative of the. Of the Republican government, but it makes it makes just as much sense if he was just right. A, yeah, I mean the reason I, I mean like it a you non Maoist communist, um, right? Yeah, I mean and and you know who knows right because there's so much complicated politics of uh, around right. that like what could have been wrong with that commander of that prison that got him that landed him as a political right. exile like who who knows i mean we'll never know because the movie doesn't answer that question right because that's not a real person it's one of the it's one of the characters in this movie that's not a real person right uh it is more like we, after 1964 we enter the realm of fantasy yeah because the autobiography this movie is based off of is up until the year 1964 Right, obviously, obviously, he doesn't write to his own death. He's not Moses, so uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a Bible joke for you. Thanks, uh, man. Uh, but like, uh, either way, the point is, is that we don't really like everything after 1964. 1964 is presumably somewhere around the time that after he is released from prison, right? 
Uh, so the commander might be a real person, but he's not given a name in the movie, which makes me think that, I mean, it is possible that he was a political exile because they said that they did have him change a few names in the move in the script. Right, right. So it's quite possible that that was a name that was not allowed to be used, whoever right. that was, for various political reasons. But we'll, we will, barring like really in-depth research in this movie, we'll not know why that commander is not a real listed person. Right. Almost every other character in the movie has a real name, and he is listed as, uh, what is it? He is written as, oh, where is it? I saw it. He's written in his, I can't find it. Um, so in the interrogator is not named, which makes sense. Right. That he wouldn't necessarily know the name of Detention Camp Governor. Yeah, which would be in theory a name that people would know because it's in documents, right? Like right. the prison camp he went to would have a governor who is a real person with name with a name in documents. So it's possible that he was removed for political reasons, but it's also possible that it's just not relevant to the story. And the movie wanted something dramatic like that happening at the end, right? And so kind of cooked up the whole story, you know, because it's not it's not necessarily the sort of thing that would be in an autobiography. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, it's quite possible that all of that is just made up nonsense. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And that's... Talking about that whole final act of the movie... Yeah. ...is where maybe Bertolucci gets a little ozu with the uh, with the censors. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, st- I get that feeling a little bit. Well, that's, where yeah. I, that's part of where I was going with the idea that, like... Um, perhaps uh, he has, they are not getting a lot of actual like day-to-day censorship oversight. Like, right. oh, the script right. was approved. As long as you follow the script, right. everything's good. And then like maybe some of the script wasn't followed or maybe a lot of things, maybe it just said he sees a parade and then like they, you know, they ad-libbed it or whatever at the time. Be- it just is- because it's it's a little weird that like that is allowed to happen. <laughs> right. It's also clear to me, even even outside of the Red Guard, is meant to not have our sympathy there. Right. right? right. But even outside of that, when the um, when the dance starts after after he's confronted the guards and been pushed down, I feel that visually. The flowing of that flag that that guy is flo- waving is meant to mirror the first splash of color in the movie, his blood in the sink. Right. Yeah, the I agree. The movie is drab it, and not, gray for the right. first few minutes, and then the first bit of red we see this is, blood, uh, yeah. is his blood in the sink. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree that like there is sort of almost an implication that perhaps this is the day and place that he dies. Yeah. It is to a certain extent, I don't think that that's necessarily accurate to the way he died. Um, but, uh, nonetheless, um, I think it's definitely meant to sort of be a mirror. Uh, there, I mean, there's a lot of use of color for sort of symbolic purposes throughout the movie. Um, and that would make a lot of sense. Uh, Even if it's not the, the, the red guard is meant to be portrayed as intensely aggressive in that scene. Right. Despite being all children. Basically, right. it's meant to right. be intensely aggressive. 
Um, and, yeah. So, yeah, it's just, it really, um, oh, interesting. Ooh, wow, interesting. Uh, you should read Pew's, uh, um, uh, um, I can't say his name. I just screwed it up, but it's fine. Um, his Wikipedia page is interesting because it describes the last years of his life. Yeah. Um, I mean, he died of kidney cancer, complications from kidney car- cancer and heart disease in 1967. But uh, he, yeah, he became a prisoner of the Red Guard at Fushun for several years. Oh, and that's the 1950s. Okay, that is that. Yeah. Um, the, the Wikipedia sort of jumps around in a really weird way. Like, it goes 1966, and then it jumps back to 1950, much like the movie. It's a little bit out of out of sorts with time. But in 1966, he was placed under protection for fear that uh, because he symbolized Imperial China, he would be at risk from the Maoist Red Guards. Um. Hmm. And mm. yeah, well, interesting. I, I don't know his his biography on Wikipedia is interesting. I don't have time to read it, but um, yeah. I mean, either way, also I don't a think little that's... a little more information there is that his father was acting as regent, um, right? Until the revolution, which started as a coup, uh, that uh, that removed the Qing dynasty, um, which was nineteen eleven. So he was what four when that happened? <laughs> so, right, uh, five, four or five. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, there's an abdication section on his Wikipedia that maybe we could have read before we started this, but we I didn't, mean, there was so. a lot to read. I spent a lot yeah. of time reading the history of of one of the war criminals and uh, <laughs> told him the story. So. We all we yeah. all used our time in certain ways, right. um, and you know to a certain extent we had to take the movie at face value, um, right? You know, like we always run the risk whenever we watch historical films of like, well, all right, we're going to run a comparison between yeah. these. Like, it's not yeah. really relevant to the flow of the movie, right. uh, really. Again, the end of the movie is basically fundamentally fantastical. Like, it is right. it is meant to be. It is Bertolucci going a little bit off the rails. Right. While de- probably details throughout the movie are embellished or removed at, at at his leisure, like that is the end is very clearly just made up story. We know that because again, the autobiography was ni- written in 1964. Uh, apparently, he basically after its release, he became somewhat attacked because it was written in English. There's a bunch of other stuff like that, but the point is it does not seem like anything after essentially his release from prison would be accurate to his real story. Yeah. Um, so the end is, is what Bertolucci wants the story to be. Right. What he has decided the story ought to be for this character, which essentially is, I guess, it probably in Bertolucci's mind, an actual redemption arc rather than what you know what I mean? Like right. becoming right. a good communist is not his redemption arc. What for Berlucci's redemption arc is probably him like showing that he cares about that governor or whatever and then like also turning out to apparently have magic powers. <laughs> right, right, right. Or be a ghost. The other option is ghost. We don't know. But ghost and magic powers are indistinguishable from each other. 
<laughs> minus some sort of like cosmology. Um, see, that's interesting because it makes it makes the last lines of the movie even more interesting to me. In that they are a uh, they are a tour guide giving his biography in two sentences. Yeah, the three hour movie we just watched is is he was born he died yeah well i would uh, yeah i mean it's an interesting one i've been on a fair number of tours. i've never been to to the forbidden city but i've been on tours of fairly large number of uh usually a little bit more detailed than that but whatever right right um you know i i don't know i feel like it'll probably be three to five sentences instead um I have toured several sort of imperial do- and and king's former palaces, and usually you get yeah. a little bit more than that. But um, yeah, it's it's you know it's it is interesting, right? Because the idea is it, you became a you become a footnote in the modern history, right? Because it's like you know 1987 or whatever, and like yeah, tourists are here, and like your life was kind of irrelevant to it all, or whatever. But um. No, I mean, it's basically, the movie is essentially, right, like, in my, in sort of my reckoning of it was essentially, it's, like, about people being used until they're not useful, right? I mean, that is essentially the story of his life. Um, It's just a series of people using him until he's not useful. Right. Um, And it's mirrored to a certain extent in the camp governor because he is used until he is not useful, and then he becomes sort of a victim of the system that he is has formerly been a part of. Right. Um I I think it's probably meant to be a certain sort of uh mirroring there, a sort of parallelism. Um again whether that was obvious in the script as it was written <laughs> for 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 checking right. is hard to say. Right. Um right. Yeah. He listen. I understand from his point of view that's presented in the movie, and this is obviously scripted, um, that his justification for, say, joining the Japanese um, and and giving them power over him, even as he thought maybe they were on equal footing, um, was out of... Which is a crazy thing to believe. Let's be clear. Right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. And his wife knew it. There were people around him telling him... Everybody knew. That that was... (laughs) I suspect that he knew and decided to willfully right. be blind to it yeah but uh reality but the whole you know he feels betrayed and the republic army did you know they destroyed his and looted the the uh family graveyard uh he's got reason to feel betrayed so yeah um he turned on his people and his country um mm. and obviously the government of that country moving forward has reason to dislike him for that. So, uh, particularly with aligning with the Japanese who did atrocious things. Yeah. Um, I think that, that, that that prison commandant telling him you're not responsible for what Japan did and his if it's true to life that he wanted that he confessed to those things um that is another interesting layer to this 
but it is ultimately a guy who was raised spoiled. Right. Uh, who eventually just starts doing whatever will make people like him. So, right? Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, and also... It, to a certain extent, but under duress will... too, right? Right, and but also, you know, we'll, you know, the argument is part of the argument is always we'll never, we will never know what he was actually thinking, right? Was you know how much you know it is definitely under duress, uh, given the, sort of the nature of society, like what his situation was at the time. Yeah. But did he also believe that he was getting? power through that like i mean did and if, and if that is well that reduces sort of in our minds at least the sympathy to that that one deserves for that right like right if you believe ah i have the potential to once again single-handedly take the reins of or maybe for the first time single-handedly take the reins of power away from people and put them in my hands that's not right you know we can't call that person a victim right and and johnson coming in as the new tutor uh, his relationship with Japan, certainly these are indications of him attempting to hold on to at least an amount of aristocratical power, whether or not it is an right. amount of empirical power. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So it is interesting then that he dies a gardener, albeit at the National Garden, um, right, yeah. In what uh, is sort of accepting of that, that he has, he has, he does appear to have found some amount of peace right. as a gardener within the film before the whole Red Guard situation pops up. Right, right. and 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 it, it's really again, it's very hard uh, to tell how much of that is real. Right. I mean, it, within the movie, right, for sure. Within the movie, that is the sort of story, right? As he finds right. some sort of reconciles him to this, himself to this situation and becomes, um, you know, it becomes okay with it, right? Until the to red, the red guard situation. It, it is, yeah, it's just very hard to know. Uh, like, we're just sort of essentially dealing with, at some point, we're dealing with a fiction movie. Right, uh, which is makes it harder, right? Because now we have to deal with like what Bertolucci's trying to tell us, right? And that that not him not just being a gardener at the end is trying to tell us something, right? Because if you and wanted him to just be, if it's just a story of him being reconciled to his life, of not being an emperor anymore, and actually maybe finding some modicum of happiness in it, right. you would end before the red card scene, right? Right, and. Another aspect of that is Johnson, the Johnson character, period, um, because he is so – the movie so much wants to portray him as some sort of impartial judge of what's going on. Right. But, but in that inhabits the idea of white Western maleness being the impartial the, the, position. The, like, yeah, the neutral base position. Yeah. Well, yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, is this movie imperialist? I mean, in its foundation, it has to be, right? Like, right. Like the movie. I was going to make this argument before I ever watched the movie, and I decided to give the movie a little bit of a benefit of the doubt because I did enjoy watching it. Yeah. Um, it, it is inherently, fundamentally, sort of colonialist that 
the person telling the story of the last Chinese emperor is an Italian guy. Right. Um, and, and that working from the emperor's autobiography, I know, but <laughs> yes, I mean, after long after the emperor has any ability to have any say over it. Right. Um, I mean, I guess because he wanted to film in China, he at least gave the, the Chinese government at least had some, Right. Ability to have some say in a story of, that is fundamentally about them, um, but it is still nonetheless a, a to be a okay. Like I, you always sort of have to run through it, and I, and I don't want to make a flat out argument that this is like the worst thing that could happen to the world. But like you're a guy, you're a director, you're reading this autobiography about the last Chinese emperor, and you say to yourself, I should make a movie about this. Where, where, really, I suppose it gets down to your personal motivations. Some of it gets down to your personal motivations for choosing to, to say that, right? If you're like, oh, I need to inform Italian audiences about this. Maybe it's okay, but then maybe your job then is to find a Chinese director who could do this yeah. with you or something like no. that. Like, this is a little odd that way, right? Yeah. Now, now to Bertolucci's credit, uh, he did have young Chinese directors on staff. Right. Yes. Uh, particularly and, and during a big the part in the, the parade scene. Yeah. The parade scene. Um, and uh, yeah. Uh, but like even, even to the script, there are Bertolucci had leftist leadings from what I understand. Maybe throughout his own life, maybe he'd moved beyond them by 1987. Maybe he was in a different spot ideologically. Uh, the Criterion essay um, suggests that he was left less less leftist and maybe more uh, Buddhist, but Buddhist. That's how it's worded in the essay, but I get the, right. the feeling of Buddhist as the sort of Western detachment. Yeah, whatever interpretation of Buddhism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but like the the conversation that Johnson and the Emperor have about George Washington is right. dismissive of uh of what Puyi understands the world to be at that point. Who is George Washington? Well he's a revolutionary general, the first president of the United States. Oh, so he's like Mr. Lenin in Russia. And Johnson says, Not quite, and then they move on. But if if not all revolutionary generals are of the same ilk, which that is textual to what right. we have, the meta text or perhaps subtext of that conversation is that Mao and the People's Republic is also not the same as Lenin oh or yeah, George I would I right. would say I mean again ending with the Red Guard scene is a is right. a clear indication that that's part of the message right right. Right, like the, the 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 red guard scene at the end is not in any way meant to give us good, warm, fuzzy feelings. Right. So the question to me then becomes on China's motivation for allowing this film to be made. I don't know that it's totally they didn't understand the dangers. Oh, I of I, I, making I was saying that that I was thinking more and more practical terms rather than ideological right. terms. I think I think the like actual practical terms are this is going to encourage money to come into China. Right, exactly. <laughs> right? I think that that was the overwhelming sort of thought process and like the consequences be damned to a certain right. extent. Right. 
wait, it's 1987. We're trying to enter the world of like modern Western economics. Right. Okay. We can we yeah, can make all make those Japanese movie. electronics a lot cheaper than they can. So right, exactly, exactly. It's it's all that. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of thought process. I I do not believe they stumble blindly into this. That is not what right. I am trying to say. Right. I am right. trying to say that like at some point someone made a decision that was the ideological consequences of this be damned. Right. Right. And in 1988, a lot of people were sitting in committee laughing and saying, oh, Bertolucci really got us, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, exactly. It's like, oh, now people really want to go visit the Forbidden City, don't they? Uh, and some stuff like that. Right. Like right. It, there's a lot right. of stuff like that. It's, you know, and, and, and it doesn't it doesn't despite what it is, it does end with. I think maybe some people, if the script was as written is presented as written. I bet some, there was probably some very intelligent people who were banking on the idea that a bunch of Americans would have no fucking clue about the Red Guard or Mao Zedong because Americans are delightfully detached from oh, right. international politics. Um, so they're like, well, we don't really have to worry about them refusing to make electronics here or something like that in the future. Although I think we may be pre-staging that oh, by yeah, quite yeah. a bit. No, we are. we are. <laughs> right. But, but any, any sort of economic progress is not going to be impeded by people thinking that the Red Guard is bad. Right, because Americans are, as as previously noted, don't really give a shit about that most of the time, um, and until so they definitely think, that, you know, it's yeah, it's the right. the quasi uh, the the Schrodinger's view of of China, uh, you know, is that they are, especially in the current political environment, they are enemies when we want them to be enemies, and they are right. friends, like right, like. And I the think that's US, been that way for a very long the time. The U.S. Senate this week, uh, somebody I can't I can't think of who somebody somebody issued a bill to keep the U.S. from referring to the president of China as president in like official documentation. I don't even know that we um, are no longer going to call him President Z. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, that's a fascinating. Well, America loves that. I mean, like America, right, right, especially right. certain parts of America, have never given up on red. Well, essentially, what is it? Red baiting or whatever it is. Right, right. Right. Like, but like, I think you know. Like I said, I do not th- do not mean to imply that they stumbled into this blindly. I think maybe, obviously, there was probably some stuff that they weren't prepared for. If it's the first like Amer- like Western film shot in China, I'm sure. Um. And that may have to do with the amount of access they were given. Um, But nonetheless, there was probably a lot of very serious political calculations that took place long before Bertolucci ever showed up with the script that got the rubber stamp. It said, we need certain things to happen in this country. And this happening is part of it. Scott Perry, Republican representative from Pennsylvania. This is House of Representatives bill on August 7th introduced the Name the Enemy Act. Oh, my Lord. Which pro- prohibit the federal government from creating or decimate, decimating, creating or disseminating any documents that refer to the head of state of the People's Republic of China as anything other than General Secretary of the Central Committee of the Chinese Communist Party, or alternatively as General Secretary, according See, to the draft I have of the bill. A, I have an interesting thought. Does that person clearly thinks this is like a dig? 
Yeah. Does he think people are going to read General Secretary and think like, well, that's that means he must be an authoritarian because right. I, like I don't know where this where is this okay yeah but that's actually probably very accurate. Um, so cool, really accurate naming schemes are awesome. I guess I yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know where that. I don't know where that bill was going, but whatever. Like I don't know. It's just you know I, I I'm fascinated by the idea that about how much. No doubt, a lot of people probably thought they sort of pulled a fast one. Yeah. Uh, I don't doubt. Uh, and then, or maybe they. Did, I don't know. Maybe they just like maybe everybody operated in purely. Gr- like good faith and it was like this is a story we want to make what do you say yeah i mean this you know i don't know who knows yeah but it's it's fascinating that it is what it is it is fascinating that it ends the way it ends um uh yeah and it's it's maybe even interesting when it is historically inaccurate too right uh, right. Of the reason those choices were made, uh, uh, like the the death of the one Japanese dignitary. Yeah. So like, yeah, that I was actually going to get into that because I'm I'm fascinated by a few things the way that it deals with Japan. I would say that one of the most glaring, obvious things in this movie that makes it obvious that it was not made by a Chinese studio is how gentle it is about Japan. Uh-huh. They are bad guys. But they are borderline edging on sort of like uh, Indiana Jones bad guys. Yeah. Like uh, Indiana really, Jones Nazis. Really quick aside on that. Okay. Uh, the uh, the Japanese distributor of this film when it came yes, out. Yes, yes, I know. I was going to get 25 minutes and claimed it was by mistake. <laughs> I don't know what 25 minutes he cut. Because yeah. the video, the movie sequence is only, it, like the movie sort of document sequence that yeah. he's shown is only a few minutes long and we barely see any Japanese people in the film other than sort of his minders we don't see any Japanese soldiers very much doing stuff out in in the world we're not really confronted by the by the rape of Nanking at all right like it's not a we're, it, these are things that don't really happen in the movie so I kind of at some point, like the thing is you can't even get that cut because the distributor put it back in because everybody's like, come on, guy, what the fuck? And like, because it is very, for a movie that is centered in major portions around Japanese war crimes, it is incredibly gentle. It very much does tend to place the, the burden of those war crimes onto individual characters in the movie. Rather than a than a system that led to the slaughter of hundreds of thousands of people and and the subjugation of a of an entire portion of a country, you know, the, all the horrible things, it, it does tend to seem to put them on the shoulders of like five guys. Um, it, it is it is very gentle uh, to the Japanese about this, and then still cutting out twenty five minutes. I don't even know the movie would make sense with that twenty five minutes removed. Because there's there would be so much missing. It at would that point. It would basically. I mean, it'd have would, to be the bulk of the Manchuria section of the film, right? Yeah, it would. It would be most of that would have to be gone because <laughs> that happen. That doesn't even start until like past the halfway mark of the movie, right? Um, it, it 
and then like it doesn't get anything you could imagine them cutting would be even later than that. I don't know. I don't know what would have been cut. I but even then it is incredibly gentle towards towards the Japanese with regards to their behavior in Manchuria. Right. Um it is it is fascinating because I, you and I were talking about this before uh the the um podcast sorry but uh the the character who is uh uh in the movie is just referred to as Amakasu. I don't even think they actually name his last name in the movie but it's uh uh you know, it's uh, Masahiko, but like he is a war criminal. Uh, he is, he's a worth, it's worth reading about him on Wikipedia. He's not one that I was super familiar with. I feel like I maybe have heard his name before somewhere in, in reading, but is partially well known for being such a brutal person that at one point he was, prior to the war, he was court martialed and imprisoned for his brutality after the, the, uh, the Great Kanto Earthquake, he slaughtered some people in cold blood, essentially. Uh, as part of, like, without permission, he essentially... It was... I misread. It wasn't 25 minutes. It was only 25 seconds, by the oh, way. Oh, okay. Well, so, that would make sense. Yeah. That would probably just be yeah, that documentary. It's just the video. Yeah. Okay, I was like, boy, that's a yeah, lot. But, sorry. <laughs> um, he's He is known for being... A person who, after the Kanto, the Great Kanto Earthquake, which is 1923, just having a bunch of anarchist slaughter, well-known anarchist slaughter, which caused a political uproar and got him court-martialed and then imprisoned, mm-hmm. and then got a was part of the general amnesty amnesty declared after Hirohito took the throne, um, and so after that, just started being a dick in Manchuria instead, like. But the the fascinating thing about him, I, which I still don't understand the choice in the movie, is I guess it's more dramatic. He shoots himself in the head in the movie. In real life, he committed, at the exact same time, like the same exact circumstances, committed suicide using a cyanide pill. I guess that's just not dramatic for the movie, I guess. It's not dramatic and it's not red. Right. Also true. Very yeah. good point. It's not red. Uh, I mean, I guess you could paint the cyanide pill red. You could be like, this <laughs> is a cyanide pill, and he yeah. takes it or whatever. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it's – um, it is fa- – he is – he did become a film per- – it became the head of – his position in the movie is accurate, as far yeah. as I can tell, in general terms, and is as much of a dick. I, I went and checked up on this because whenever I see – that intense of pro- like sloganeering going on in a movie, I'm like, well, I, I just want to know if this is real or not. Was he as much of an ass? Yeah, it turns out, yeah. Was probably actually worse than the movie makes him out to be. Yeah, from everything I can tell. Also, actually, did make movies in th- as propaganda. He was definitely a sort of a Goebbels type figure, I guess, uh, for the Manchurian campaign, and but also did also apparently. Seemed to have a lot of power for somebody who was not actually part of the military, which is a, a whole other fascinating thing. Because um, he was not actually part of the military in in sort of China, uh, Japan's Manchurian campaign, but was apparently very powerful and made a lot of things happen. So I don't know. It's uh, it, it's really it. He is. I just find it interesting that they changed that, but. Yeah, and then again, they're just really, really gentle on the and and again, I can't imagine any movie 
made in a Chinese studio being that gentle to the Japanese about this. Right. You know what right, I mean? Right. Like, we've seen Japanese directors be less gentle than this. <laughs> right. About right. this. Like, right. we have seen Fire on the Plains. Like, we have seen a... It's not about Manchuria, but it's the same basic concept about Japanese war crimes in in their... You know, yeah. during World War Two, Like, it is interesting that this movie is just that like doesn't despite most of the story past 1930 being about that but we focus very heavily on uh Puyi and like we don't really venture outside of his universe so i guess the amount he is trying to portray that he didn't really interact with those crimes right right and at all and the movie wants us to know what is probably historically accurate that he did not know the full extent Right. Of what was going on until that prison movie. Whether or not that prison movie is. I mean, the prison. Or at least until after the war was over, probably. Right. Yeah. I mean, which makes sense. I mean, why would you tell your puppet all the bad things you're doing? Right. If you want him to be a good puppet, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Particularly, Particularly when your puppet is only being your puppet because he feels Manchuria has been betrayed by the rest of China. Right. Uh, you don't align with the people uh, actively destroying Manchuria. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it is. So it's also not hard to believe that he would have a change of heart when he finally finds out after the war what. None of that right. is hard to believe, right? Like he right. would feel remorse for what happened. Right. All or sense. even believe so, himself not... to be responsible for what happened. Oh, yeah. No, I mean. It, he is. It's really interesting at the, in that part of the movie where he's like, "You're not responsible for this." So I'm like, "Yes, you are." Right. Like, I got bad news for you, but like, if your if your sort of position as the puppet helped add at least the sort of air of legitimacy to a campaign of mass slaughter and and abuse, then like, yeah, you right. being a puppet was you being at at least you have some culpability in what happened. Right. Sorry, you do, and he and he doesn't even have the excuse that he was addicted to opium. It's just right, exactly. He has no excuse other than I wanted to be right. You know, I wanted maybe I wanted to help my people. Is a if you're totally if all the information's hidden from you, you could you see that argument, but you could have also found out some more information. He wanted or tried. To, he wanted to continue to live a life of comfort on his terms. Right, exactly. Which is what he's been really doing about, his entire life. And exactly, and yeah. it really it, the excuse that I'm trying to protect the people of Manchuria or something like that is nonsense because you would have asked questions at that point, right? If that's what you wanted to do, you would have bothered to find out whether that was true. You and and people, you know, it's it's that it, there's no way he didn't know that the Japanese were doing bad things in China. Right. Like I mean, the extent maybe, but there's no way like oh these. This this conquering force arrived. I'm sure they're the good guys, right? Like right, and and his and he had access to that... newspapers. Like I've seen like the like the history. You know, I've read enough of the history to know like literally the League of Nations condemned the behavior of Japan in China because it was all a drummed up fake nonsense. They fully pulled the sort of uh, the the Spanish American War thing and like a Japanese troop group set off a bomb to give an excuse to kill you know it's like that whole right. thing it's all drummed up it's all fake it was all very obvious everybody who had access to newspapers knew it right 
um, they took a page straight out of the American playbook, right? To create right. it, like with 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 the help of American advisors, but like we don't need. And the movie, the the movie even goes out world. of its way to suggest that Johnson's biography says, "Oh, he knew it." Right? Yeah, well, exactly, and and yeah, exactly. It's like and, and Johnson, I, as our impartial white guy, which is even is, is, again, even, very the, problematic. even the communists take at face value, right? Right. No, everyone's <laughs> like, "Yeah, he like, must have been." I don't know. He's like, uh, does he even exist? Is he a real person? Yeah, I didn't even bother to look. I'm pretty sure he's I didn't a real even person. Real, I didn't even check because I was like, "All right, well, this guy, they, the movie really wants it." But like, I guess if I have to say one thing, Peter Tool's character is delightfully personalityless. Uh, so there's always that. I mean, he's not that important to the movie. He yeah. is. He is an impartial, air quotes, impartial observer for a pretty short period of the actual content of the movie, um, which I guess is a benefit, right? Like if you think about like. It could have been a lot worse. Yeah. In terms of how much of a role Johnson could have played in this movie. It is le- at least the actual, it is at least a story fundamentally about Puyi and not about his white savior or something to that effect. Right, right. Right. But even it even gets like overt. As him being the, like he's literally the umpire of the tennis match, right? I know. Yeah, I mean there are parts. It, it it is not clean. This movie is not clean of that right. stuff. I am saying that, like, I I mean I haven't seen Mulan yet, but I'm just kidding. uh no. But my my point is just that like, um, it could have been a lot worse. Right. It just could have. We That's know fair. it could be because I've seen things that are worse. I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying it could have been worse. There are other instances of that. Um, people take him at face value a lot. He literally like lets him get a bike. He like basically like frees Puyi from his right torment. He is a he is definitely a white savior character. Right. I've just seen worse ones. Right. And fundamentally, the, as far as the flow the of the first, movie goes, he's the first one to move when Puyi's on the roof, and the only one who that's true who tries true. to stop. And and a lot of that is also putting Puyi in his place too, right? The flip side of that is is that you know he's telling everyone, including Puyi, that Puyi does not have ultimate power, right? Uh, right, and, and right. you know it's it's interesting because also at the same time we never see Puyi claim to be a god. We never have him pretending to be like actually capable of like magic or something like that. He is. I mean, I give me an example, and I, I'll listen. When I, he I'm is saying, nine, he does yell, "I am the son of God." Which uh, is, well, he says, he "Yells, yeah. I'm the son of heaven," which is son also heaven, a title, yes. which right, is also but, an actual functional title. But it is the understanding of that functional title as the divine ruler. So. Right, but divine ruler is not the same thing as thinking you're Jesus. Like, does he believe he can fly? He does not believe he can fly. He believes he can make a guy drink ink, but he doesn't believe he can fly. I mean, I know what you're saying, but, like, I think that might be a stretch. I think I'm not saying he was on the roof because he thought he could survive being on the roof. He was on the roof because he'd gone through a lot of trauma. Right. That that no one around him is willing to admit he's gone through, right? And, and yeah, so. exactly. And that, that, but yeah, my I, John, you can put a lot at the sort of 
the feet of this Johnston character in terms of like how bad he is. Him being the first one to go rescue him is probably more about wanting to make sure that he's read as like a good guy who's there to like right. Right. teach PE about the real world or something to that effect. Right. But gently. You know, I mean he is definitely a he's definitely a white savior character, but like the way he falls off at a certain point in the movie is part of what I say makes him not as problematic oh, as he could be. He doesn't like rescue him from like Yeah. The Red Army or something like that. Certainly, certainly. I mean, which at least, you know, I, I mean, I based on what I see on Wikipedia, I think probably he is overplayed in terms of, like, his role in the movie because there's not a lot on this Wikipedia page. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, one of the last lines of the Wikipedia page is an indication of why, uh, at his request, his fiance at the time of his death burned all of his letters and much of his personal material right so he also didn't want the full extent of everything he did and knew about in right. china to be made public right even after his death so right and so it was just you know i mean he could have been a totally minor character in the movie probably yeah. we could have you could have made this movie with essentially out that character at all probably um I mean I mean as a as a historical biopic he needs to exist. Right, um, but like some so did all the other people exist. in the court so, needed to exist, right. but a lot of them got pretty short shrift that's in fair. the actual that's like fair. movie. Like the, he could have just been the the weird white guy in the movie, but like you know the movie does make you know the Wikipedia does make mention of the fact that he retained ties with uh PE at, even as he took over yeah. Uh, you know, in the sort of, in the Japanese uh, sort of a colonized area. So I mean, I guess that he was probably pretty important to PE, you know. But yeah, it's it's I don't know. He's a he's somewhat problematic. But again, I've seen so much worse. I kind of like was like that's eh, fine, whatever. Yeah. Like he's only in half the movie as it is. I guess maybe part of making him an impartial observer is the fact that he is. <laughs> Some, somewhat personalityless. He's kind of a pretty boring character, all things considered. Right. right. Uh, um, the movie hints at it, and reading between the lines uh, of his Wikipedia page, there's a little hint at this, too, that he, he might have been gay. Um, and as reason, you know, that is... That is a motivating correspondences factor. would be uh, burned. Right. Well, not necessarily that, but for his his sort of banal nature, uh, but also running away to China, um, right? Know, both of those things make sense. Uh, but I don't know. That's speculation. But as I said, I feel like the movie hints at it. Um, I can't remember Perhaps. the specifics, I, but I I, I, I remember yeah. thinking it. Um, and. Uh, the Wikipedia article mentions that he was engaged multiple times uh, to various women, but never married. Um, so, and I think that's the the context of what's said in the movie is about him <coughs> being asked if he has a wife and like rolling his eyes or something. Yeah, <laughs> he kind of does it. Yeah. Oh, oh ma! <laughs> yes. Like he, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very. Yeah. It is a very weirdly acted that's, scene. I didn't. I didn't that's really how give I give that. A that's how I read that scene. But yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't bother. I was more like, oh, I don't know. I just yeah. sort of didn't even bother. I, 
a lot of his scenes are kind of boring for me. So I right. Of, yeah. Also, I don't uh, really care about him. So yeah, he's not really super important, honestly. So yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I. You know, but he does does bring in the fact that like having need feeling the need to have that character be that essential to the first half of the story is sort of a partially an impetus for Pee like being who he is later. Yeah, does sort of play into what we were talking about earlier about well, the idea it, that like how kind of it's kind of it's we, also we, a reflection we, too of Pee wanting to be more Western, right? Right, so. and 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 that yes. What I mean, though, is that the movie does create a sort of implication that he is the catalyst to Pee's a lot of the actions that Pee takes, especially with regards to, um, you know, becoming more not just becoming more Western, but becoming more sort of independent from what he's required. You know, again, bicycle glasses getting married, you know, all these things that are Pee sort of rebelling against his position or whatever like that, uh, those sort of things. I know, it's hard to say. It's, it, it is, again, we always get into the problem that I, I have, which is, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it, again, like what possessed Merlucci to make this movie? To think I need to, I need to tell the story of the last emperor of China. Yeah. I mean, I'm it's a pretty good movie, so I don't necessarily 100% mind. But there is something odd about it because it it implies that like this story is a story that he somehow has the knowledge and you know capability to tell. Yeah. And, you know, we find out based on the fact that it's a pretty good movie. Like, he does a good enough job. But, like, I don't know. There's, it's, I don't know. There's something uncomfortable about it nonetheless, right? Right, right. It's like, shouldn't this just be China telling this? You know, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Ebert's review also says a very interesting thing. In uh, he praises the beauty of the first ninety minutes uh, of all of the forbidden palace sequences, uh, but at the same time says how how bougie is it of me to say the forbidden palace is the beautiful part of this movie? Right, I, right. Uh, how uh, he literally says bourgeois. He doesn't even say how bougie as yeah. you know, like a separation of it. How bourgeois is it? Um, but yeah, I will say the, the movie does give one valid and good piece of advice, uh, about peeing at night. True. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Pee again. Very valid. The way to do it is pee against the side of the bowl, not, not into the middle of the bucket. Uh, very true. Yeah. I mean, this is fundamentally of a problem anytime you're peeing in a, in an undefined space. Right. Um, Another solution would be build some some sort of wall, but you know, you know, you're, you know, I mean, it, it is a it is a sound advice, but you know, the the turnaround on that is, hey, don't make four people all pee in a bucket in the corner yeah. of a room. Yeah, I will also say I felt like 
when when the wife and the consort are first introduced, mm-hmm. um, they are played by their adult actresses, mm-hmm. uh, but they are overdubbed to sound younger. Yes. And the voices used to overdub them sounded like it was Peter O'Toole doing the impressions. <laughs> you are correct. Right. Uh, specifically, especially the wife. Yes. Um, her overdubbing is patently ridiculous. It sounds like an adult English male doing an impression of a, of, of a young, a girl. young yes. Chinese woman. Yes, you are right. I do not know what the deal is there. Um, those voices are not credited as far as I can tell. Um, I don't know. I I assume I assume it is her. I assume it is Joan Chen doing it very well. Her own been. overdubbing and just couldn't like. It's hard to make yourself sound like a little kid. Like it just is. But yeah. boy, somebody should have given it a couple more shots. <laughs> right. Like, but also she's playing a seventeen-year-old. Right. They're not that young. Which is not that young in terms of like voice characteristics like 17 like, and like maybe know. the other one makes a little more sense but yeah it's something like i think what was it 15 <coughs> i think yeah, she was like 17 is yeah. 17 is young but like you could probably get away with like just using the adult actress's voice probably right, right? like you could probably just give it a go probably okay uh but it does come off very cartoony it was very off-putting right right um uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's uh, it was a good movie. I mean, it was very, I, it was very interesting. It's obvious. I was... Go ahead. It is obvious in you know viewing it that we were sort of on the same page that it is. It has a a complicated relationship to politics here. Yes. Uh, in perhaps a fascinating way. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I could read a book about the making of this movie for sure. Right. But it would need to probably be a book about the making of this movie from a per- from a perspective that's never going to have a book written about it. Right. Like, I would love to know the the Chinese side of the making of this movie a lot. Right. right. The Bertolucci the side of it, I don't think yeah. it's super hard to figure out. You know? Right. Who, saw, like, who sought who out? I mean, there's a million things I would love to know. But yeah. I doubt we'll ever get the answer to that. Um Bertolucci's yeah. side is not that interesting to me because it's like, well, an Italian thought, I'm going to go, you know, an Italian director thought, I'm going to go make a movie about the last emperor of China. Yeah. yeah I can do this. I um, have all the th- all the skills and required information necessary. Yeah. Financed by a British film producer and an Italian television uh, channel, yeah. apparently. Exactly. Um, it's, I mean... Like, the production of this movie still reeks of all the things that we would always complain about in the end, right? British producer, Italian director, telling the story of a person that they really probably have no business telling the story of, really. Yeah. uh, But doing it anyway. But nonetheless, the results are pretty good. I mean, the, the net result is pretty good. I was very nervous before I watched it. Right, right. Because I was like, this could go very poorly. Um, so I'm I'm glad to see that it didn't completely go off the rails or anything like that. Um, yeah, it it has those problems, but yeah, it, it is definitely politically fascinating. Not just in the meta context, but also in like what it chooses to talk about and not talk about. Yeah. Um, 
inside the film as well. Like in the writing of the film, like what you choose to include and what you choose not to include is, you know, important, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Um well, next week we get to talk about a movie that is uh a version of the life of that Japanese diplomat in a way. Uh Okay. What movie are we watching next week? I have no idea. Yeah. Uh it is uh it is Alex Cox's Walker, uh which is a 1987 film uh satire uh of a historical person. Um the person William Walker was an American uh who uh uh fled to Mexico was tried for breaking the neutrality act and eventually uh his Made belief himself in the president of Nicaragua? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A lot of a lot of 19th and early 20th century Americans were doing that sort of thing. Uh, the doles right. in Hawaii come to mind right, as well. Right, right. Uh, but well, I mean, at least whoever made this film is presumably staying in their lane because they're talking about an American being an asshole. Oh yeah, than, yeah, yeah. Alex you know. Cox is definitely <laughs> with music by Joe Strummer. Um, this is definitely on board for. Uh, <laughs> Walker's not a good guy in this movie, right? So. Which is which is where I want this to go, right? Like, I mean, yeah. you know, we we just got done talking a lot about the the character of Johnston in this movie. I'm glad to see somebody fully within their lane here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. so, so I I look forward to that. Uh, yeah, me too. I I have we would seen like it? to see what this is like. Have we only ever seen one Cox movie, Sid and Nancy, or did we see something else after? Well, that? we definitely I I. I was looking at that uh, just a moment ago, and I think it's probably just Sid and Nancy. Uh, but there might have been another one right next to Sid and Nancy that was also because yeah, we haven't we haven't we did, watched we Repo, Man, Repo yet. Man. No, we um, will eventually, but we haven't yet. So, uh, so yeah, that might be the only Cox movie we've seen right. so far. Uh, okay. We will see. Um, we will see more from Bertolucci, I believe. Oh, we won't actually. Last Tango oh. is not in the Criterion Collection. All right. Well, I, thought, I guess we've got a. I thought it was. Uh, I guess we have a um yeah. Um we already saw a Bertolucci movie, La Camera Seca. I forgot was him. Uh I mean, yeah, well, cuz it was also, you know, 35 years before this one. So Right. I mean, I guess though so you might have a possible list for the for the bonus episode. You could <laughs> We're not watching. I I don't know if you want Paris. to, but I'm not uh, introducing us to that. Uh, in which okay. case, I will tell Fine. you when we're done here. Uh, the story of the last tango. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Um, All right. So yeah, this week we've been talking about the last emperor, Bernardo Bertolucci's 1987 biopic of the last emperor of China, Puyi, based on Puyi's biography and partially based on uh, Johnson's recounting in the book he published. Partially based on Bertolucci just making stuff up. <laughs> Obviously, partially based on Bertolucci making stuff up because the entire last sequence of the movie takes place after long after both of those people had died. So, yes. uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, next week we'll be talking about Alex Cox's uh, Walker. Uh, look forward to that. So thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorian. And we'll see you next time.
You've been listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoGrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.Bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. We'd appreciate it.